you need to push out as hard as possible. More meetings, more requests, more offers, more cross and upsell opportunities, more outreach, more appearance. And if you have a calendar which is packed, you will never get into doubt. Even if you need to wait for the money, if you have an empty calendar, that's when all these devil thoughts start to pull up. You're listening to the B2B Growth Think Tank, the show that brings you the virtual hot seat where each week my expert guests and I help another business leader by masterminding actionable solutions to a specific challenge they're currently trying to solve in their business. So if you're looking for answers to a specific challenge that you're facing, that if you could solve in the next 90 days would have a huge impact on your growth, send it in to thinktank at thinklikeafish.co.uk and we'll see if we can feature you on the show. My name is Adam King, your host and the captain of the ship at growth consultancy Think Like a Fish. And if you're ready to rethink what's possible for your business and discover the growth strategies, advice and insight to turn this new vision into a reality, let's get started. Hey, Adam here and thanks very much for tuning in. And as you are, I'm going to make the assumption that you are responsible for generating revenue for an established B2B professional service business and you're looking to grow your revenue. So what I've got for you, you're going to absolutely love because I've recently released my new revenue multiplier calculator and bonus training where using this tool and following the training, you'll discover how to uncover the hidden revenue opportunities in your business and be able to systemize your growth using seven revenue multipliers that can double your business in 12 months or less. So if you want to go and grab your copy, go to thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash calculator. Now on to today's episode. Well, hello and welcome to the B2B Growth Think Tank. Now, joining me today to talk business growth and to help out a fellow business leader on the virtual hot seat is someone who is a disruptor, a serial entrepreneur and author of The Dream Selling Business. Now, he's executed go-to-market strategies, digital selling and sales enablement activities for Fortune 100 companies like Dropbox Business, BMC Software and Oracle Corporation. Now, today he runs Vanks Digital, Vanks Digital Business Consulting and is an international sales trainer at the Vanks Sales Academy, which empowers B2B sales professionals to sell digital and reach C-level decision makers faster by combining digital media advertising with sales enablement and personalized video messages. Now, something you may find interesting that he actually used one of these videos to get my attention. And all I have to say is that without a doubt, it's the most original, personal and the most effective outreach message I've ever been on the receiving end of. So I tell you now, I'm a complete advocate and a convert to this methodology. And I know you're going to be after today's episode. So I am absolutely honored and excited to welcome Roland Van Buchen to the show. Roland, welcome. Yes, Adam, thank you for having us on board. It's a pleasure. Yes. First question. Go for it. I love your last name. Which which last name would you either prefer? Because I had a friend of mine with his name was Don Cash. But when I compare Adam King, I think King is even stronger. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. I mean, um, yeah, there's a uh, yeah, I, I, 
I don't know. It's one of those weird things. I've never really sort of um, thought too much about the name, but um, I, I've al- always been sort of thinking, well, I'm, I'm glad I wasn't uh, given a first name like um, Lee or Wayne is the, or Juan if I was Spanish. Those would be the ones that would be a little bit awkward, uh, <laughs> awkward to sort of deal with. But there we go. There we go. So, um, no, Roland, thank you very much for joining me. And um, as, I, as I sort of covered in the uh, intro there, I, uh, one thing I will say is I get approached quite a lot by people um, to come on the show and all that kind of thing. And the way people do it, it ranges from just flat out awful, quite obviously a copy paste. It's gone out to a million podcasts and all the rest of it to now you are the benchmark at the top of the tree of the kind of outreach message that you used. So I don't necessarily want to give the game away of, of the, of exactly what was in that, but would you explain your thinking behind the type of outreach that you do and how you came to it? We have a team of around 10 people and one person is specifically assigned to research things. So this person was researching the fastest growing podcasts in the B2B tech segment and your podcast came up. And when we look at podcasts, virtually everybody wants to get an invite, but very few people actually get one because there is a certain platform where you can expand into a new audience, which is great. So when we was thinking to engage with several people in the top tier, top 1% level of podcasting, we said we need to do something different. And when our core business is personalized video and standing out, so we said, okay, let's do personalized video messages to those people who run the podcast, who own the podcast or who are hosting the podcast. And it worked out fantastic, but it is again, a team effort. One person is researching, provides the data. We create the video and gets executed and happy enough. We are here. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it was, it was, it was refreshing because as I say, you know, a a lot of the time you can get approached with very generic kind of like, um, I am this, that, and the other, and I would love to talk. And, and there's a lot of um, companies out there that do podcast booking services. And, and to be honest, I find those a little bit frustrating because they're clearly not doing their clients a particularly good service because they are representing a client and they are approaching it in a terrible way. Some people get the Bloomin' Podcast name wrong. <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah. that bad. And I think that the way that the world is, um, it's far too easy just to do a copy and paste and, and all that kind of thing. But actually taking the time and the effort to stand out and do something different, I noticed it with you. I mean, I think I said when we first had the conversation, it's like, it doesn't really matter what we talk about now because, mm-hmm. you know, you had me at hello sort of thing. It was it was that good and it was original and it felt authentic and, and all that kind of thing. So, I mean, that's just obviously we're talking about guesting on podcasts but you use this for people to get conversations and, and meetings with some pretty tough to reach people, don't you as well? So why don't you give us an example of how that works for people? When you look at companies like Salesforce, like Oracle, like Microsoft, and you look at people that are in charge for teams over hundred people in the top tier enterprise software sales segment, they earn in average around 200,000 a year, right? Each seller. So, and they earn this because they need to sell technology probably worth over a million. And who are they selling this technology to? The top, top tier C-level of Audi, of BMW, of Tesla, whoever it is. So 
this pure that the, the poor chief information security officer get overwhelmed with copy paste messages and requests for the assistance. So in 2017, and I will jump on it in at a later stage a little bit more in depth, but in 2017, I figured out it is way more effective to do personalized videos than to do cold calls. And don't get me wrong, I mastered cold calls. I've done 120 phone calls every single day in Dublin, classical outreach, classical mm. B2B calling. But I realized when you do an introduction video, it is so greater as a warm introduction. So when we target C-level of these top tier accounts, that I don't know, 50 billion plus in revenue, then the video is really the differentiator. But if the video is bad scripted, not properly executed, and the quality is bad, um, you probably do more image mm. damage than you win. So it's really the first introduction, first impression, first opportunity. If you, you do a great job, fair play. If you don't, yeah. So um, give us an example then of um, what makes a good first video, first introduction, and then maybe contrast it with bad. Yeah, we recently um, certified a person from the Salesforce Corporation in Germany, which was for us a big win. How this came across, we targeted the head of sales enablement within Salesforce around Christmas. We researched the person's name. We found out that the person, for example, shared an article about an appearance on a podcast, how the way digital selling has changed. So we created a video for this persona didn't reply follow up didn't reply connected with the assistant assistant reply assistant forwarded we expanded into several people deal mm. so it is like a trojan horse you use it and you can expand into other lines of business so what happens the video was so good she reshared the video on linkedin we got even more inbound that's mm. an example for us in a for a good video if the person who receives it will share it on i don't know linkedin for example and say mm. hey, this is what i got i really liked it that's when we get overwhelmed with inbound mm. yeah and and what what kind of content goes into those videos um is it is it like completely personalized is there some parts that are kind of um you know is, is it just somebody talking to a camera i mean i know the answer because i've been on the receiving end but for, for people listening what do those videos look like yeah when you do your first video, like when you have never done videos, for example, personalized to a C-level, personalized to a podcast, personalized to the bank because you want a loan, personalized to the car dealer because you want to buy this specific car with 5,000 um, euro discount. So the first videos always are awkward. They are too long. They are not authentic. They are badly scripted. And when we do our videos right now i will not give too much of the away of the intellectual property but what we do we go in depth on the research who was in the show which article was shared where have they studied what are the interests which connection do we have in common where are links from six seven years ago that person shared an article predicted something and if you can take this piece of content, which is three years old, five years old, and you can reference in the video to it and ask what the progress is, they will be blown away. So it's mm. small little things. Right now, it takes us around five minute research for one video. Other people, it takes potentially 45 minutes, but we have done over two and a half thousand. That's why it's mm. now so quick. 
And and are you doing these then on behalf of of a client, or are you sort of giving them the research and the information, and they create their video themselves? How how does it work? Mm-hmm. For example, when we work with big Fortune 100 companies, and we work with I don't know right now over 300 sales professionals at this stage, we enable those sales professionals how to do the intro, the main part, the script, the call to action. We include their corporate identity and motion graphics. And the most important thing, we follow up with them together because the follow-up makes it or breaks it. You can do the mm-hmm. best the best calling pitch, the best video pitch, the best call to action. If you do not follow up with a certain frequency, and we really cracked the code on this one, that was, it took a lot of trial and error, but the follow-up is really what makes it and breaks it. And for us, normally the third follow-up is the one that opens the door. It's not mm. the first attempt. It's not the se- it's the third follow up that opens the door. Yeah, and the majority of people sort of give up after one, um, if they even do one. It's it's quite every deal I, I, we closed. Every yeah. deal we closed was over thirty touching points. Every single yeah. one. Yeah, I mean, I I I remember I've I remember writing, writing an article a while ago and and, and titled it um, "Follow Up Failure Is a Virus That Kills Your Business" because it is one of the things that is so simple to to do. You know, just following up but most people don't do it because they don't, they don't know how, or they don't do it enough, or they don't do it in the right way, or maybe they don't have the right cadence or, or something like that. But it's just one of the most simple things that you can do in your business. And I found it is one of the biggest leverage points in a business. And if you are looking to grow, improving your follow-up is possibly one of the, um, the, the highest leverage points that you can actually look at. You can look follow up also. This is some uh, question I would have for you because you are big in networking and great relationships with your podcast, with your platform. You can look at follow up in simple getting new clients, but you can also look in follow ups as holding relationships that might be not right now relevant, maybe a year from today, maybe two years from today. So I, I heard this from somebody who is over 500 million in network. He said, I approach five people I know every single day, just checking in how they're doing, what's up, etc. Five people times seven days a week times four weeks. It's insane. It's mm. it's the same follow up again. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, I, I have a similar system. I uh, I have a a um a project in my my project management Asana, and I have my um so it's like um like referral partners. It is um you know influencers. It's partnerships. It's it's people that um might not necessarily ever become direct clients, but they are people in my network that I continually try and add value to. People have been on the podcast, all that kind of thing. And uh, I don't necessarily do five every day, I do three. So I have those key people that is, it's 100 people rolling. And on a 30 day um, period, three people come to the top and it's like you haven't spoken or you haven't been in contact with this person for at least 30 days, so follow up. And if I actually have a conversation or something in between, I just mark it and it resets that 30 day clock. And it means every day there's something going out to somebody on that list, whether it's just a, uh, you know, how you doing or, you know, what's going on with, you know, the project that you've been on, or it could be, all right, I need to write them a recommendation on LinkedIn or, or it's let's have a look for something that they've recently published, share a podcast they've been on something like that. It's just keeping that top of mind with people. And I think that is something that is so simple and you don't even need a project management. You don't need a sauna. You can do this on a spreadsheet, but it's, it's the, it's the mediocrity of consistency, which I think is the problem with people with follow-up because they think they have to do it like some 
massively elaborate sort of thing, but actually just be consistent is going to outperform the perfect follow-up system 100% of the time. Let me give you a great example, Adam. There is a chief revenue officer, which we are connected on LinkedIn since three years. He has seen our evolution from BMC to Oracle to Node, doing our own companies. And we contacted him regarding potential collaboration for sales enablement with a personalized video message. Person didn't reply. We we phoned the office. They couldn't let us through, right? He is in home office, no chance. We see in LinkedIn in his contact info, his mobile number. We call, nobody picks up. We speak on the voicemail. We forward the, the video a week later again. After several attempts, I think it was 12, he gave us a meeting eight weeks ahead. So in eight weeks is the first meeting. The meeting takes place. He cancels it five minutes in advance. Then the meeting is again one week later. We spoke a lot. They say, Roland, we wanted to train us for two weeks. We have a budget of 20,000. We would like to have intensive training for two weeks. Then they wanted to trim it down to one week. Long story short, we now have a signed contract. It was signed last Friday for over 120,000 for a 14 weeks partnership. That's persistence. Mm. And you know why they wanted us? Because they say our guys need to learn that way of follow-up. Yeah. That's why. I mean, it's a fantastic, in, in, a, in a way, it's like one of the best strategies to, uh, yeah, to, to sell a sales training because it's like, well, look, we've been right. consistent. We've followed up. And actually, if you're on the receiving end and wanting somebody to train you, it's like, I will actually, I mean, who knows? Maybe they were sitting back and waiting for all this to happen and, and, and just to see what you were doing to know that actually you know what you're doing. Because let's be honest, some people can actually say, this is what we do. This is how we help you. But they don't necessarily eat their own dog food or uh, drink their own champagne, depending on the, yeah, what, what kind of, <laughs> what kind of language you prefer. But it's, um, yeah, I mean, that's a great example because that is not a quick fix, right? Uh, and there's a lot of things out there with quick fix. And, and what I don't want anyone to sort of think is like, okay, well, this video, personalized video messaging thing is, right, this is the, the next thing. It's just something I can do and easy and it's just going to happen and all the rest of it. There's a lot of work that goes into it, isn't there? So it needs to be well thought through, well prepared, well considered, and you need to have the plan that goes behind it after you've done that one video because it's not just a video, is it? Let me give you a little bit of context how this whole thing came about. I think that would be an interesting story. So at the very core, I'm a Russian immigrant that escaped the collapse of the former Soviet Union with our family to Germany. We arrived in a refugee camp, 10 years, no passport, under 50 euro. This is all we had when we arrived. Um, Fortunately enough, I was bankrupt twice by the age of 25. So I was forced to knock doors and sell renewable energy. So that was my career start in selling. When I made the commission, I relocated to Dublin with a one-way ticket, no word English. Uh, With an English test, which I didn't do, this woman did the English test for me because I couldn't speak one single word. The only word I was was able to speak was yes. So Mm. I arrived in Dropbox business and they made large eyes because they couldn't believe how I ended up here. And they fired me six weeks later. So I started the sales career in business development at BMC Software. And that was my sales school. 120 cold calls every single day. What you lack in skill, you can make up in numbers. From there, the whole thing opened up. 
incentives to Vegas, to New York, to North Carolina, to Barcelona, all around the world. So I was always smart because I see you are also very active on LinkedIn. I always posted these numbers on LinkedIn. Oracle came across, made me an offer, double that salary, relocated to Amsterdam. And then I was in charge for 70 accounts. And I said, if I will continue to do the paste on the phone, I will burn out. So 2017, I started with the personalized videos and they were killing it. They were so bad from the recording, audio, text, etc. but nobody, virtually nobody in tech was doing it. So they were really converting. Then the old fellas that have gray hair, no hair, and are, I don't know, twice my age in Switzerland, like very wealthy people said, hey, we need this Russian savage with the red hair in our office in Switzerland. Quadrupled my money with, I don't know, 24 months, saved everything, exited, and now we are really proud to help other salespeople who are maybe a bit struggling because I know exactly the feeling what it's like to be bad on the phone to suck in the follow-up, to not be great in being persistent. But when you have somebody that guides you, it makes a lot of fun. Because mm. sales can be great, but you need to go through the learning curve first, and then everything comes. The commission comes, mm. the career comes, everything. So yeah. that's that's our take. Absolutely. And I mean, there's that I mean, first of all, that's one hell of a journey, you know, from a you know, from a tough start to to relocating under all those circumstances. And then there is that theme that goes through everything. It's it's consistency and a persistence. And I think that that is obviously fed you well in life, but also preparing you to go from, you know, entrepreneur to entrepreneur, you know, from employee to business owner. And I think that sometimes and, and, and I think it's happened a lot recently. People have fallen into certain um, situations because of what's been going on and all the rest of it. They found themselves you know, maybe going out and saying, oh, I'm going to work for myself, all that kind of stuff. I'm great at what I do, but there's a big learning curve. I know because I've been through it. <laughs> you know, It's like you, you have a, a, an ability and a skill that you've mastered, but now you actually have to work out, how do I sell this? And once you burn through a network and all the rest of it, it's, it's a very different world because you've got to go out there and and uh, actually sell to put bread on the table and it's not it's 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 different when you're just sitting there and sort of collecting the check compared to actually you know selling it you know to you know to do it different and that's a mindset thing and i think a lot of people don't always consider the mindset required i don't know if that's something you found if you are in sales and you struggle with following up, and I know today is in the in the German region a day off today. If you take days off, you struggle with sales and you are not hardcore aggressive with your follow-ups and your persistence, good luck in building your own company. Give you the best example. In December 2020, we had around 11 people full-time. That's where we started hardcore aggressive go-to-market. Two of them got COVID, one of them burned out, one of them had problem with their back, one of them had problem with their teeth, one of them decided they go another direction. That is reality. The deals you count on 150,000, 250,000, they fall apart. The people that promised you to show up to sign the deal, leave the company. The deal that you really believe will make it is in delay. 
the budget you count on is actually frozen. The company just started their financial year, whatever. That is the reality. So if you want to be in B2B sales, in B2B sales enablement, consulting, whatever it is, I just give you my honest thoughts. You got to be hard. You got to be hard. It's possible. We are right now completely booked, fully booked for two months ahead. But I tell you honestly, the, the fine line between being completely broke and have nobody to train, to enable, to, to teach and being fully, it's a, such a fine line. It's incredible fine. And in terms of that, like when you say a fine line, what do you see then is the difference between those that sort of get over that line and then those that sort of don't? Yeah, good question. Great question. When you look at capital, when somebody wants to start a company, they virtually everybody has a certain pressure. You have a shot clock, right? You have, I don't know what your savings is, but you need to make revenue before you run out of your savings. Depends also on which stage in life you are. Do you have mortgage? Do you have a, 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 a car on lease? Do, how, what are your fixed costs? And what do you need to bring in? So how long is your shot clock? And that is only financial capital. What I found is the, mo the most important thing is social capital. Most important thing is social capital. When people know you in the industry, trust you and know that his credibility will get results, then they will book you. So if you don't have financial capital and you also lack social capital, good luck. Even if you find an investor who's willing to invest in your ideas, you will burn through cash so fast. It's unbelievable, especially in the beginning. And um, that's something I experienced. You think you need to buy everything. You think mm. you need to overpay everything. Pay ads. The reality is you need to look. I personally can say it like this. You need to focus on the people you want to do business with everything else to the side. Mm. That's 100%. It. And I know people that raised 1.6 million pounds in London. Um, since two years, they are building on an idea. They have not even the website life still in beta. They haven't done yeah. any revenue yet. So um, it is possible. It's great, but it's tough. Mm. I think it's, it's, I can say this honestly, it's tough, but it's worth it mm. in my eyes. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that one of the things to pull out of that is the thing that I, I, I really, really like hearing all the time when people say it is it's that relentless focus on the customer. It's, it's the one that you are serving, you know, surrounding yourself by around with the, with the people that you're, you're looking to serve. It's knowing the problem that you solve. And, you know, this is, this is something as a, as a sort of, um, I guess, a, a recovering marketing junkie. I've had to learn this over the time. It's like, I was a marketer. I wasn't a salesman, still not a salesman. I don't class myself as a salesman. However, working now with other people that have started businesses and having started my own business, you start to realize there is a very big difference between say a marketing business and a sales business. And the key is being able to kind of blend the two. And it's, there's a difference between a marketing message and a sales message. And one of my weaknesses that I identified and I still have to keep aware of is sometimes I just don't make the offer because it's all about putting value out into the world. It's all about kind of, you know, attraction and all that kind of thing. And I've been massively guilty in the past, but actually sometimes some of the most direct messages that are focused on the customer with a clear value proposition are the most effective. 
because there's almost this almost like a a disease of um indirectness that it, you know we, we kind of think that well we can't just sort of make an offer because we look like we're spammy or pitchy or something like that whereas actually if you've done your research you have a unique approach potentially something like a video personalized message and you show that you know that they are in a situation that you can help them with and you put a good offer in front of them you don't necessarily need all of that marketing bump that experts will, will tell you they need how long does it take you from initial contact to get in the in the offer? How many touching points or conversations? Um, I mean, obviously, it depends on on what it is, but it can literally be, you know, somebody can, um, you know, if, if it's inbound, um, it will happen in a call. But if it's, you know, me going out because, you know, I do have that marketing engine behind me. Mm -hmm. So once somebody has sort of reached out, there is a lot of stuff going on. So they are very educated into what we do. It can generally happen on one call or two, but if it's a more direct outreach, that can be, you know, a number of touch points and it can happen over time and, and all that kind of thing. And there's, there's no real average at this point, but you know, it can happen like that. Mm -hmm. Something that I found also interesting when we touch on the, on the base of um, the difference between entrepreneur and entrepreneur, when you when you work in a large organization or in a fast growing organization the what is interesting you need to deal with a lot of stuff that is coming from inside the company on your desk here meeting here qbr here follow up here forecast here one to one meeting the biggest difference i have seen when you make the leap in starting your own company instead that you need to deal with everything that's coming in you need to push out as hard as possible. More meetings, more requests, more offers, more cross and upsell opportunities, more outreach, more appearance. And if you have a calendar which is packed, you will never get into doubt. Even if you need to wait for the money, if you have an empty calendar, that's when all these devil thoughts start to pull up. Um, nobody wants to buy. It's maybe too cheap. No product market fit, etc. If you have between four and eight customer conversation every single day and around 10 to 20 a week, there can be no doubt. So for everybody that's listening, that is thinking about the leap, I want to encourage you. What is the worst that can happen if you try? And in my eyes, there is no such thing as trying. You either mm -hmm do it or you don't it's the same when you go and um, when you want to jump in the in in a in a pool from 10 meters right at one point you need to jump the longer you stay on top the more doubt you will have and potentially climb down so it's fantastic something that we have done we have done over 1000 personalized videos before we went live mm. 1000 to talk to your decision makers so I thought you were going to quote one of my favorite uh, Star Wars quotes there. I thought you were going to do a Yoda and go, do or do not, there is no try. Because that is, it, 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 it summarizes for me, like what it, what it takes sometimes with this sort of thing. It's kind of like, well, give it a go. You always think you've got a backup. You know, I'm, I'm a, I, some people will, will agree with this. Some people won't, but I'm a believer of burning your boats. Don't have a backup plan. It's kind of like, go for it. Like just leave everything on the table because if you think you've got something to go back to, you'll leave 80% or you'll leave 20%, whatever. It's, it's, you really do need to go to it. But it's not just effort. You do also need to have an idea and a plan. 
and you have to have that product market fit and you have to have the, the you know, the right message and, and the right offer and all that kind of thing. So before anyone takes a leap, you need to have that at least planned out ahead and, and maybe validated some of it, maybe had some of those conversations, even if it's, you know, with, with the kind of people you're already speaking to for example. So what's going on with your business? What's happening? Blah, blah, blah. What are you struggling with? Like just asking some of those questions. So you get some ideas and all the rest of it. But, you know, you, to be honest, that is the sort of thing you should be doing all the time with your clients anyway. Um, constantly asking questions, getting feedback, finding out what's going on, because they'll tell you what they're ready to buy, what they're needing help with next. And if it's not you that can do it, that's where your network comes in. Was like, mm, it's interesting if you've got that challenge. We we know someone that is absolutely fantastic. You know, would you like to be put in contact? Another revenue stream added to your business from a partnership opportunity. It's you know there is more than one way to generate revenue, and most people think it's just about selling more of your stuff. It's not. There are many many different ways. So um, I think that yeah that it's a journey and it's one that never stops. And it's almost like you wake up every day with a brand new slate. And you wake up every day and you say, I'm going to do this today. I'm not going to try and do this today. We train a person who is um, earning 250,000, but he so badly wants to make the leap to entrepreneurship. He has this company already since three years, but it's flat because he is doing part-time the company and doing his career within the golden cage. After working with us, he said, Roland, I got it. He now works Saturdays. He does no day, days off, even if there is a bank holiday, whatever. So it is a process because when you want to, I don't know, reach 20 new contracts per year for yourself, but you are not willing to contact 2,000 people per year to get to this 20 contracts, good luck of in the moment when you say it's now 1st of April and now, now I go live, now I do more, now I will do more calls, more follow-ups, more engagement. It's the easiest when you start earlier. And sometimes, as you said, this is years in mm. mental development till you physically be able to execute it. Mm. Absolutely. And, and I think that what it is, I'm, I'm a big, well, I, I talk a lot about the importance of momentum you know, whether it's marketing momentum, sales momentum, anything like that. And it's kind of like, I often sort of talk about that what you are dealing with today, whether it's in your pipeline, whether it's in your client roster or whatever it is, it is a direct result of the activity you started 90 days ago because it is a momentum, you know, it's momentum. If you did nothing 90 days ago and you're sitting there going, right, my calendar isn't full, well, that shouldn't be a surprise. If you are sitting on a full calendar, it's likely because you did something 90 days ago, but also the same thing 89 days ago, 88 days ago, you know, 87. It's, it's that consistency. Like you need to be doing something every single day in your business that is revenue generating, lead generating, something like that, that is going to be bringing in new eyeballs, potential clients, potential partners to your business. Like Adam, that is question. like the number one thing. Sure. Adam, quick question. When you look at the landscape of sales professionals right now that use mainly LinkedIn, copy-paste messages via email, and sometimes the phone, where do you personally see one of the biggest opportunities in the tech industry? In the tech industry, if, if you're just doing that, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to sound really random, but direct mail. Mm-hmm. If that's all you're doing, and also it's it's one of those things. I'm a I'm a I started my game in direct mail. We used to have packs, and we used to analyze the figures of everything, like every single list and all the rest of it. And today, there is a lot of competition in the inbox. There's a lot of competition competition in the, in the LinkedIn message inbox, and I think that direct mail is something that can really be a huge opportunity if you're selling to the same type of clients that you're talking about, big C-level executives. And I, I use the example of things like lumpy mail, like what can get the attention, like what you've done with the video personalization has been done with direct mail in the past. You know, there's, there's examples of people that um, would find out the shoe size of a C-level executive. Mm-hmm. They buy very nice, expensive shoes that they know they like, and they'd send them one shoe with a letter or a message and say something like, this is just to get my foot in the door. I'd be happy to give you the second shoe if we have a conversation in a meeting. It's just one example. I've had um, other people on, on the show talking about doing something else, um, sending a pebble in, um, in the mail and saying, we're just a stone's throw away from you. Um, that kind of thing. It's just what gets the attention, FedExing it, not just sending it in the mail. That is something that I could, you know, the, the strategy that you guys use is sound it's based on principles it's curiosity it's human behavior it's, it's understanding that people become curious by this sort of thing but also they appreciate a personalization like something that is different from all of the generic vanilla stuff that they're receiving all the time it's a I principle wanna, that doesn't change adam i want to drop one one little secret that works for us incredibly well on direct mails on linkedin So when you look, for example, that most messages are seen on the phone, right? So you can scroll through the messages, something that we do instead that we start the message with, hey, Adam, hey, Peter, hey, John, hey, Mary. We put in a chocolate bar, another very fancy emoji, and for example, a camera, like Mm -hmm. three emojis in different colors. So when the person scrolls through their in-mail, it definitely pops up because the first thing he sees is three emojis. So, okay, got it. I read it. So mm. that's just a small hint on mm. how we get into, how we slide into their email. Yeah. I mean, it's any little thing like that that can just catch the attention because that's the first thing you need to do. Like if you don't catch the attention, it doesn't matter. Like it really doesn't matter. So that's a great little tip. Um, it's one I may, uh, I may still, um, if you do not mind. Um, and and I'm, I'm, I'm all for experimenting. Like, that's why I love having this show, getting tips and ideas. And it's like, okay, cool. I'm going to go and experiment with that and see how it works for me. And, you know, if it works for me, I will be telling other people and, and I will be telling them exactly where I got the idea from. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, that's why I love having this show. So um, coming on to um, the section that I think is going to be, um, it's going to be an interesting one, this, because, um some of what we've already been discussing. So it's uh, we're going to come on to the virtual hot seat. Hey, it's Adam. Now, just a quick one before we dive into today's virtual hot seat, because as the core philosophy behind the show is a rising tide lifts all ships, I'd love to invite you to come and hang out with me, my guests, 
and other business owners and directors of established businesses with a track record of providing good, solid service and a positive reputation in their market inside the B2B Growth Think Tank community, where we all connect, solve problems and help each other grow more profitable businesses. It's free to join, so come along, join us at thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash think tank group. I look forward to welcoming you, but first, let's get to today's virtual hot seat. So for those that haven't uh, listened to the show before, it's your first time, the virtual hot seat is basically this section where a listener has sent in a question um, or a challenge or an opportunity they're wanting to maximize, and they're looking for a little bit of uh, advice. So um, the guest and I, Roland in this case, are going to deal with this challenge. Um, we're going to brainstorm some thoughts and, and, and ideas. And I think one of the best things that we can leave this person with is not necessarily the absolute solution, but maybe helping them ask themselves some better questions to find the solution on their own. So today's virtual hot seat question, let me bring it up, is, so this is um, from someone um, that is, um, and this is why I say it's kind of interesting. Um, they own a, a podcast producer. Uh, so they're a pro podcast production agency. So they do the editing and um, all that kind of stuff um, for um, podcasts. So the challenge is, our biggest growth challenge is consistently finding the right podcasters for our service. It's tough to narrow down a prospect list to separate the hobby podcasters from those using it as a lead generation channel and investing in the resources to actually produce a professional quality show. Now, we're finding it more difficult to find quality leads, say, versus a B2B professional service provider who can use things like Sales Navigator to filter down their exact target market with a budget for their services. We don't seem to be able to find that kind of level of detail for what we do. What would you advise trying to connect more with other podcasters? Adam, so, Roland, what's yeah. your first thoughts? I would even love to pass this one to you because I will give you the point of view how we would engage with them, how we filter them. But I think when it comes to the podcast world, you have a better understanding to filter out where is the golden nugget. So I'm curious mm. from your point. Well, I mean, one of the things like in, in terms of sort of thinking about, you know, where do we find the people like that separate the hobby podcasters from the people that are losing it, using it as lead gen or, or, or even sort of you know, actually commercializing the, the service and, you know, go to the, go to the charts, go to the new, you know, the, those sorts of things. And, and maybe they're doing that already, but it's, it's one of those things that if you're, I mean, you can make an assumption quite nicely that if you're running a, a, a business focused podcast, you're going to be using that for a business reason. So those are the kind of people that would listening to some of the shows previously and, and listening to the quality of the audio and the production value and all that kind of thing. Like it's not a simple process, but you need to understand some things about the show. So it's kind of like, yes, you can do that. And, and there are ways of doing things in sales navigator like a keyword, podcast, podcaster, podcast host, all that kind of thing, you will start to get actual um, people that have that within their profile. Um, it just takes research. You've got to really drill down and, and, and I wouldn't approach a single podcaster without having at least listened to three of their episodes so that you know exactly what it is that they are actually looking to do with a show because you'll be able to tell quite quickly if A, they already are produced, B, if they are running this as a hobby podcast or if they are running it as a professional podcast 
And then you'll know the right way to approach them because you'll know where the potential value that you offer them is. So that's the first thing I'd sort of think about. I think there are only a limited amount of really good podcasts in the in the B2B space. So when you trim it down and let's say you have globally 100 to 150 that are really relevant for this agency, I would simply ask 100, let's say we, we look at these podcasts as accounts. Mm -hmm. That's simple. You have a decision maker, you have a co-host, and the only thing you need to do is to ask. So even if you ask this person and they say it's not interesting for us, it's a, they know their competitors, they know their other peers in the game and they will refer you. So I would be big on referrals. I would be big on, on asking them if this would be a fit for them. I would definitely do the research for the top 120, then engage with them via video, schedule a call, ask them and go out with two referrals. That's mm. how I would do it. 100%. And I think that you know, when it comes to the world of podcasting, you start to realize that there is a lot of um, exchange that goes on. Like podcasting is a great place to be because there isn't like competitors, like nobody sort of competes with each other when it comes to podcasts. People podcast and they guest on podcasts and they, they do swaps and vice versa and all that kind of thing. And absolutely, it's kind of like, asking those questions when you, when you have someone like who else do you know that may well value what this is and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's one thing of doing it. The other one, and um, I do know, cause I, I asked this question as a clarification, they have a podcast themselves. However, I don't think it is focused enough on what they are trying to achieve. So the irony is I, I would start or I would refocus the, or think about refocusing the podcast to invite podcasters on that fit your profile to ask them about their podcasting, like the things that, you know, tips and tricks, like how you've grown your audience, all that sort of stuff, because that is another way of opening a door. Podcasters love going on other podcasts. You get that conversation going, you build that relationship first off and you get to ask of recommendations and all the rest of it. So that kind of fits nicely onto that referral piece that you talk about there. It's an idea, but you'd really need to, focus down on either a niche or a topic when it comes to podcasting that is going to be interesting for podcasters. But yeah, there's, there's another way of doing it. That's one thing I could consider. Adam, let me jump on to something. Um, I know we, we, we talked on this uh, before we went live. Let's, let's do one, one quick game and it's called first things first. I drop a word and you need to reply one word that comes to your mind with what you associate with that word the most okay well i knew this was going to be a fun episode so i'm going so, let's go let, let's go <laughs> the only rule is you can't repeat the word twice okay so it always must be a different first things that come into your mind when it comes to following up more First thing that comes into your mind when it comes to complex, big deals. Relationship. LinkedIn. Conversation. People that want to be on your show. Partner. Last thing, your audience. Awesome. 
Fantastic. Great. So what was the idea behind that? Because when you ask somebody specific to explain something in one word, then you see where they're coming from. When we ask, what about your audience? Awesome. When we speak about follow-up, more. Maybe it's a sign that you also want to do more follow-up or would recommend other people to do more follow-up. So that's just where, where we want to mm. see where, where somebody puts their focus. Mm. So, yeah, maybe it's a, a sort of like exercise to think about for this person in a way. But, um, yeah, it's kind of like I think that they're getting lost in some of the mechanics of like, where do I find these people? Like maybe if you can't find them on LinkedIn, for example, like I saw somebody do something really, really good. And, and I, I cannot remember the name of them right, right now. And, and I like to give credit where credit's due. So I feel bad that I'm going to say this without giving them the credit, but they were um, somebody that did, I think something similar, or they did podcast booking or something like that. And every single day they would do a video and post it on their LinkedIn about a podcast. I listened to this podcast. This episode was fantastic. What I really love about the show is this X, Y, and Z. They tagged that person. They tagged other people that they thought would also benefit from listening to the show. And basically what they did is become almost like a promoter of podcasters mm -hmm. through LinkedIn because podcasts are difficult to promote. So that is one way that you could do it because you're actually serving the people that you want to serve before you even actually, you know, actually talk about what it is that you do. And you're looking at different ways of, of bringing attention to people by, you know, by bringing attention to other people, you're bringing attention to yourself. I think that that's something else that you could consider doing because it's a network, you know, if you're thinking just LinkedIn. So, yeah, I think that there is, you know, I mean, the actual way that you then reach out, like if, if I can give anyone any kind of advice when you're reaching out to a podcaster is make sure that you listen to at least an episode, ideally three, you get the name right. <laughs> no, like a hundred, like I cannot believe how many people don't get that right. And you actually show if you're, you know, either if you're looking to be a guest or if you're looking to do some work with people, it's like, what have you seen? Like actually maybe even show that, look, I've listened to the show. I think it's fantastic. Oh, and by the way, what I did, I've written a review, take a screenshot of the review and say, boom, there we go. Like, that's the kind of thing that gets you attention. Like, thank you very much. Like, that's amazing. I'm now going to read the rest of your email. Like starting with that kind of what I call a consumption hook. Like, what is it? Is it a promotion hook or is it a social hook? The social hook is, you know, I, I, I listen to you and I listen to your, you know, your episode with X, Y, and Z, or I heard you there and blah, 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 blah. The, um, the promotional hook is, oh, and by the way, I, I left a review and I've also shared it on my, you know, I've shared the latest episode with my fans and followers, all that kind of thing. Like the thing is that does take more time than just doing a sales navigator search, bringing them all up and sticking in an automation software and going send. So I'm hoping that the person that, you know, that, that sent this in is prepared to do the right kind of things that are going to be required because it is clear that there are a lot of people out there doing it wrong. Adam, good news. You will receive in the future from a lot of people, a lot of personalized videos that will tell you I've written a review and I've shared the last episode. Let us come on the show.
Well, I think every time that um, every time I get it in a different way, I am going to politely direct them to this episode and say, have a listen. And then if you still want to have a conversation, try again. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I'm always open to talking to people and, and conversations and, and all the rest of it. I just think that it is just good manners and polite to do it in the right way. I do the same and I would like, you know, that I, I just expect the same thing in return. So um, there we go. But that was awesome. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot of things that um, can help this person here with, you know, in terms of how they go and, and find some of these people. But more importantly, how you then manage the relationship, how you do it differently. So thank you, Rowan. That was um, that was a, a good one. I love that little game in the middle. Yeah, I love it. So um, what's the challenge for you right now? Like, what are, where are you trying to get to next? And, and is there anything sort of getting in your way? Yeah, we... The only challenge we have is we do not want to expand too fast into other markets. Today in the morning, we, for example, was approached for somebody in Singapore. We do some small little work with Google in Singapore, but they wanted to do us, a, they wanted we do a bigger project. It's again a tif- different time zone, etc. So the time zone thing is really something I cannot change. But the only thing I can do is I can be very careful which deals we accept because I'm very big on um, walking away from deals. If you are very desperate that you need to take every deal and people want to negotiate your price down, etc., I think you have 100%. a very bad leverage point. So that is something I we are very proud of that we can walk away from deals, work on a preferred client base, and ideally with a central European time zone. Mm. But the time zone in a short, short answer. So is that expansion into other offices or, or sort of hiring people in those time zones or, or having people work along those? I mean, is that some of the things you've considered? We first need to master our craft in the European market and in the US market before we go anywhere else. We got approached from Australia, Singapore, uh, Japan. We want to first master our craft. If you are great in what you do, you, you leave yourself, you leave yourself time to be really great, not just say it, etc. Master it, then expand. Like Bruce Lee said, I'm not afraid of the person who done 10,000 kicks, but who practiced one kick 10,000 times. We have done 2.5K uh, videos, 2,500. If we've done 10,000, we really want to meet that person who can do them mm. sharper, better, more efficient than us and enable other people to do the same. So that's we must our craft first. Yeah, and, and I think that is like such a refreshing um, way of viewing things. And I think that most people are far too quick myself included, I am very guilty of this. They're too quick to want to move on to the next thing because it's new and it's exciting and all the rest of it. Whereas actually becoming very, very good at, you know, throwing that one punch 10,000 times, it will get boring after about 500. When but you need O'Neal, to really do it. When Shaquille O'Neal was not accepted into the NBA and he went home to his mother and said, look, I maybe try it in the next season. She told him, you go out right now and throw that goddamn ball into the ring and you don't come home until it's dark. Mm. That's the mindset. Just, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a fantastic, I, I think that's a great place to leave it with that sort of thinking because it's, you know, this game is, is, is 80, 90% mindset. I've learned anyway, 
Um, you know, the strategies, the tactics, what you do, all the rest of it. Yes, it's important. But if the mindset of the person at the top is wrong, it's going to be challenging because even if you have others with you, it all starts from the top and the culture starts from the top and everything else filters down. So you need to get your, your mindset in that place and, you know, develop it around the kind of place that you would want to come to work in because you'll attract that kind of person as well. So, um, yeah, this has been great fun, Roland. And if somebody wanted to, um, yeah, see maybe either examples of some of the stuff that you do or find out about what you guys do, obviously we spoke LinkedIn, you're on LinkedIn. Is that a good place to be for them or where should they connect? Adam, first of all, before we go into this, you've, you do a fantastic job. Not one time cut off, great questions, great preparation, exceptional introduction. I personally tell you, this was one of the best interviews we have done. So big credit to you. Appreciate everybody was listening. If you want to find out more, you can visit us at venexdigital.com. If you want to get in touch with us regarding a project, we do it now, right? Like the uh, Swiss watch dealers, we work with waiting lists and that's also refreshing. So, but you can always give it a shot. Adam, thank you. No, thank you very much. And thank you for those kind words. It, it does, it does mean a lot. And, um, yeah, I, my, 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 my whole ethos around this show and, and to be honest, everything I do is to, to make the guests feel comfortable and enjoy the conversation and allow them to just get the best out of them. And, and that's what I try and do. So thank you very much for that. It does mean a lot. And I hope that people listening also detect that coming through and, um, yeah, just enjoy the conversation and uh, some of the games we've had because it's been fun. It's been genuinely fun. So thank you very much and uh, have an awesome rest of your day and we will speak soon. Boom. So that's it for this episode. I hope you found it valuable. I hope you got some great ideas that you can take away and apply to your business to help you grow. If you did, please share it with somebody else that might also find this valuable because they will thank you for it. Also, to let you know that I have a podcast gift page where I put a lot of resources that I love to share with my listeners. You can find the links to join the Facebook community there and you can get my book, The Conversational Relationship Marketing and the audiobook version all for free, plus a number of other resources I'll be adding over time on that page. So make sure you head there to thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash podcast gift and you can help yourself to the things that make most sense to you and if you have enjoyed the show please make sure you're subscribed you'll get updated as the new episodes come out and finally last favor please consider giving the show your honest rating and review on apple podcasts i read every single one they mean the world for me i love hearing from my listeners and it does help others find the show as well so if you want to go and do that i'd really appreciate it but until next time have an awesome day and we'll speak soon